0: It's just great to see each one of you here. And uh, I know the Lord's got a word for you tonight. Can you believe that? Yes. And so I'm going to invite you to open with me to Hebrews chapter 11. The good news tonight is I only have one, one page of notes. That's the good news. The bad news is that means that, means that I can be as extemporaneous as I want because I don't have that much written down. So uh, we'll see. We'll just see how that goes. Uh, but tonight we're going to continue our series in Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, we're going through this chapter and we're looking <clears throat> excuse me, we're looking at the great heroes of the faith and and how we can learn from their lives, we can learn from the way that they lived. we could take lessons on on how we can live for God and and how they were faithful to God in their life, and how we can be faithful to God in our lives. How many of you, that's your heart's desire to live faithfully for the Lord? Amen. And so, uh, though the stories may be different, though the events and circumstances might not line up exactly one-to-one with your life, there are certainly principles that we can, can glean and learn from and then apply them to our lives as well. Now, in the first week, we saw that, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews gave us this definition of faith. In he, Hebrews chapter one, verse 11 verse one, it says, "Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen." And while that concept might be difficult to understand, it, it might be sort of hard to wrap your minds around exactly. What that means, we spend a whole week looking at that confident assurance that we have in God. What is not hard to understand and what is not difficult to see at all is the way faith lives itself out, the way faith manifests. And so the concept might be difficult to grasp, but the way it works out is plain and can be seen very clearly. And so the manifestation of faith, what faith produces, the way faith manifests is in confident obedience to God's word in spite of consequences, circumstances, or outcomes. And so while the concept of faith might be a little hard to wrap its mind around, what faith produces and the way faith manifests is very easy to understand. And so that's why after giving the definition of faith, he he begins to show how faith manifests in all of these different Old Testament heroes of the faith to give example after example after example that we can learn from. And so we're going to start tonight in verse uh, 5, looking at a, a sort of mysterious figure in the Old Testament, very mysterious figure in the Bible. In fact, he's only mentioned in three places in the Bible, and we're gonna look at all three of those tonight. And I'm gonna invite you to stand with me as we just read uh, Hebrews 11. We're gonna read verses five and six about Enoch. And no, Enoch is not some new food delivery service. He's someone from the Old Testament, Enoch. Verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Isn't that what we all want? To please God. And in verse 6 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is or that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight in our time together. Lord, uh, we want to live for you. God, we want to please you. We want to live a life that is pleasing unto you. And so, Lord, help us tonight through the power of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, just speak to us. uh, Work in our hearts and in our lives tonight in a powerful way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated tonight. Now, I've got three points for you uh, on the life of Enoch. We're going to look at his walk. We're going to look at his worship. And we're going to look at his witness, his walk, his worship, and his witness. And I want to give you a little bit of background on Enoch and and the time in which he lived. And so uh, don't lose your place in Hebrews 11 because we're going to come back to this. But flip over with me to Genesis chapter 6 tonight, Genesis chapter 6. The time in which Enoch lived was a very interesting time. It was a time like no other in the history of the world. There's never been a time like the days in which he lived. Now Enoch's, Enoch had, though, though he is somewhat mysterious to us, Enoch had a very famous great-grandson. His great-grandson was a man named Noah. Enoch's great-grandson was Noah, and When we read in in Genesis 6 about the days of of what the world was like in those days, in chapter 1 it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. This was displeasing to the Lord, this, this mixture of, God's, the sons of God, and, and I don't have time to go into who those people were, but they were mixing with the daughters of men. And what we need to know is that God's people should not be mixing with the world, that, that there is a clear distinction, there should be a clear distinction between God's people and the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. But there was this adopting of, this, this, this embracing, if you will, of the world by God's people in those days. And so this displeased the Lord, and he said, My spirit will not abide or strive with man forever, for he is flesh, and his day shall be 120 years. Now, if you skip down to verse 5, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man, which was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's quite an indictment. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so because men, mankind after the fall became so evil, became so wicked, became so corrupt, God decided that he had to start over. And he decided to start over with a man named Noah. But these were the days in which Enoch lived. He lived in these evil times. He lived in these wicked days. He lived in these times where people did not seek God, but rather that they, the all, all of the intentions, all of their thoughts were only evil continually. And that this displeased the Lord. Now, Enoch, of course, had passed away by this time. And if we look back at Genesis chapter 5, just one page over, Genesis 5 and verse 24, this is where we're first introduced to this man Enoch. Enoch 5, 24. It says, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Now, we don't know how God took him. We don't know what that looked like. Maybe he went up in a chariot of fire like Elisha. Maybe he went up like Captain Kirk. Beam me up, Scotty. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But what it does tell us is that God uh, was pleased with Enoch, that Enoch was a righteous man. He lived for the Lord. He did not follow after the, the pattern of, of what was happening in his life, in his generation. And so God was so pleased with him, he made it so that Enoch didn't have to die. Enoch didn't see death, but instead he was brought into God's presence. And so again, from Enoch, there's three things I want to pull out for us tonight. And the first is his walk. It tells us that Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Now in the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 3, it says that How can two walk together unless they are agreed? How can two walk together unless they are agreed? And when the the apostles, when the New Testament writers, they begin to talk about our relationship with the Lord, they talk about our walk with the Lord. Our walk with the Lord. Our relationship with God can be described as walking with the Lord. But to walk with somebody, you have to agree on some things. You have to have some sort of agreement. You have to agree, number one, on the destination, right? If you're going to walk together, you've got to be going to the same place. Bass Pro Shop is not the same destination as Tiffany and Company. Right? And so, if if Heather and I are gonna walk together, we first have to agree on the destination. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, So, there's some agreement that has to take place. They have to agree on the destination. What this is telling us is that Enoch and God were moving in the same direction, the same direction that God was moving. And the Bible tells us that God is always moving, God is always working. God is always accomplishing something. It wasn't that God got on board with Enoch, but it was that Enoch got on board with God. Enoch said, God, what are you doing? God, what are you, how are you working? God, what is it that you're wanting to do in this world and in this generation? And Enoch got on board with God. Enoch walked with God. And you can do the same. You can do the same. And it, again, it's not that God's going to get on board with your direction. It's not that God is going to you know, look down from heaven and say, ooh, he's just doing something really awesome. I'm going to get behind that. No, we humble ourselves before God. We submit to him as Lord. And we say, give us my marching orders today. Lord, what is it that you have for me today? Lord, Lord what is the direction that you have for my life? And again, 99% of that, is found right here in the Word of God. 99%. Life is not complicated. We make life complicated because we try to do it without following God's Word. 99% of every decision that you need to make is already in the Word of God. The big decisions in life. And so we have to know the Word of God if we're going to walk with God. But Enoch got on God's Direction. They were heading in the same place. They had the same goals. He he aligned his life with God. Another thing you must do if you're gonna walk with somebody is you have to be aware of their presence. You have to be aware of their presence. uh, Unless you're you're gonna not be moving together, you're not going to be walking together if, if you're not aware of where they're going and aware of their presence. And so we need to be aware of the presence of God in our lives every single day. Jesus said that he would never leave us or forsake us. We have the abiding spirit of God with us everywhere we go. The Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be aware of God's presence in every situation and in every circumstance. We need to say, God, what is your will in this situation? What is your will in this circumstance? Lord, what is your will right here and right now? And then we walk with God in his will, aware of his presence, aware of where he's going, aware of how he's moving, because God is always moving. God is always moving. Now, it's very easy to go through life oblivious to the presence of God. It's very easy to just wake up in the morning, get about what you got to get about, and you could go through your whole day without once thinking about God. Have you done that before? It's easy to do. It's too easy to do. It should not be that way for God's people. Amen. That's why when we get up, the first thing we need to do is we need to open communication with the Lord. We need to say, Lord, what are you doing today? Lord, how are you moving today? You know, that's one of the things that Brother Beatles, Brother and Sister Beatles taught me and Heather so well in our premarital counseling. They taught us this little prayer that they prayed every morning. Lord, what are you up to today? And would you make me a part of it? Lord, what are you doing today? I want to be a part of what you're doing today. It just opens that line of communication. It, just, it starts your day off walking with God the Lord. So that's the first thing. We see his walk. His walk was pleasing to the Lord. He aligned his life with where God was going and where God was moving. Now let's flip back to Hebrews chapter 11. That's his walk. I'm going to read the passage again. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So first, his walk. Secondly, his worship. Enoch was a man who sought after God. Enoch was a man who worshipped God. And this is the second example of, that the writer of Hebrews 11 gives us. And, and already, again, we're talking about worship. We talked about worship with Abel. We're talking about worship with Enoch. And what we're going to find out as we move through this that, that there's not a lot of distinction between how we live our lives and how we worship God. That all of our lives that we live unto the Lord, we should live as worship unto him. Worship is not confined to the the song service, as people used to call it. Worship is all of life. I hope that you're worshiping God right now. I think you came to church tonight as an act of worship unto the Lord. That all of life as we walk in obedience to the Lord, all of it is worship. Worship unto him. But we see here that it says that he sought God. He sought God. Now to please God, it says two things. You must believe that he is. Now the ESV renders that you must believe that he exists. And it's trying to help interpret that. It's trying to make the English flow a little bit better. But literally translated, it's translated that you must believe that God is. And of course, that English doesn't work for us. And so we think, God is what is what we think. We must believe that God is what? But remember when God appeared to Abraham in the bush, not Abraham, appeared to Moses in the burning bush and God, he gave him the name. Moses said, what should I tell Pharaoh? Who who should I tell him has sent me? And he said, tell him that I am has sent you. I am that I am who has sent you. And so we must believe that God is, that that he is the creator, that he is self-sustaining, self-sufficient. We must believe in who God is. Now, who is God? How do we know who he is? Well, he's revealed himself to us in his word. We must believe that he is who he says he is. We must believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. To please God, we believe that he is who he has revealed himself to be. We, we don't hold in our mind concepts of God that are in, in, in contradiction to his self-revelation. But we submit our concepts of God to his word, his self-revelation. And so to please God, we must believe that he is who he says he is. And secondly, we must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That we would seek God, that we would pursue God, that we would chase after God, that we would desire to know God. We would seek the Lord. We would spend time in his presence, that we would spend time in prayer. This means laying every other pursuit, making every other pursuit secondary to pursuing God and living for his glory. You see, for God to have his rightful place in our lives, for God to be pleased in us, we must make every other pursuit secondary. It's not that work and, and family and, and career and, and, and all of the things that we do in life, it's not that they're unimportant. No, in fact, they're very important. But they're secondary secondary to first and foremost, bringing glory to God. And so I should seek to bring glory to God in my work, in my career, in my family. Not that that I, I don't value them or think that they're important, but know that there's a higher priority in the midst of everything. And that is how we seek him. That is how we pursue him. That is how we chase after him, to make him Glorified to exalt Him in every area of our life. And what we see here is that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. That's great news for those of us seeking God tonight. God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. There are great benefits to seeking God, to serving God. Now, I can't tell you exactly how God will reward you, But I can only tell you that He will reward you. You will be rewarded for seeking Him. And I can tell you that He will reward you in a way that is beyond what you can imagine and that He will reward you in a way that is best for you. God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Now, He's probably not going to catch you up and just zap you up to heaven like He did Enoch. If He does... We'll all be looking for you. Uh, So we walk with God. We worship God. We seek him to please him. And then thirdly is our witness. So our walk, our worship, and our witness. And to see Enoch's witness, we flip over to the second to the last book of the Bible, Jude. Jude right before the book of Revelation, this little one chapter uh, book. And Jude also mentions Enoch. These are the, the three places that Enoch is mentioned in the Bible, Genesis, Hebrews, and Jude. Now, Jude is... is written about false teachers that have infiltrated the church. And the message of Jude is that we would contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. That's Jude chapter 3, or uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Chapter 1, there's only one chapter. It's Jude, verse 3. To contend once and for all for the faith to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. That word contend means to fight, to strive, to struggle for, to labor fervently. He goes on to say in verse 4 that certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. There is one faith. There is one Christian faith. There's not many different Christian faiths. There is one faith. And it has been delivered once and and for all to the saints. And God's people are, are called to fight for that, to contend for that. When, 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 it's it, when, when there's false teachers, when there's error, we, we don't put up with it. We don't tolerate it. We don't receive it. But we contend for the faith. Now, if this was a problem in the first century, let me assure you, it's still a, very much a problem in the 21st century today. Not a week goes by that I don't see uh, some example of what he calls here, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. It's not hard to find false teachers. It's not hard to find people that preach another gospel. It's not hard to find people who, who twist and pervert the Scriptures to say what it plainly does not say. It's not difficult to find that today in our world, especially with the the access that we have—the worldwide access through uh, the internet today—and so hardly a week goes by that I don't see some egregious example of this, and aggrieved in my spirit because of these people preaching this perverted message. But in verse fourteen, he turns his attention to Enoch. And remember, Enoch lived in a very evil day. Enoch lived in a very wicked day. We think we live in an evil day, and and we certainly do. But God has not flooded the earth. I mean, that's how wicked and evil they were in that day. I would argue that they were more evil and more depraved and more wicked in that day. Because there was none who served the Lord after Enoch before God called Noah. Imagine a world in which there are no believers. Imagine that world. Imagine a world where there's no Christians. Imagine a world where there's nobody filled with the Spirit of God. Imagine what that world would be like. It would be hell on earth. It would be survival of the fittest. It would be kill or be killed. It would be Attila the Hun and... uh, Every other ravaged conqueror, it would just be, it would be unreal, the evil and the wickedness. Because there are believers in the world today, many believers in the world today, we are salt and we are light. By our very lives, we preserve this world around us from decay and moral decay. And that's what Enoch was doing in his life. In verse 14, it says... It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of unrighteousness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. I love that word malcontents. If Do we live in a generation of malcontents or what? I mean, goodness gracious. Thank God they, they invented social media so we could all go on and complain about how horrible our world is today. It's just like, that's what it was invented for, it seems like. That's what everybody uses it for, to give voice to their discontent. We, we live in a world of grumblers. We live in a world of malcontents today. But it was a very evil, it was a very wicked day that Enoch lived in. But because he was a man who walked with God, because he was a man who worshiped God, he also bore witness to God. He was not silent in his evil and wicked day. He spoke up. He called good, good, and he called evil, evil. He he was not someone who was morally compromised. He was not someone who was swept away in the spirit of his day. And because of that, God was pleased in him. He spoke up. He he spoke of the impending and the coming judgment of God. Now, nobody listened to him, but he was faithful unto God. And we speak out the truth, not so just because people would listen. We hope they would listen, but we speak of the truth to give glory to God. We speak of the truth first and foremost to bring honor and praise and glory to God. We hope that people would listen. I believe that people will listen in this day where the Spirit of God is moving. But the world will not get better if God's people remain silent. There is no way for the Spirit of God to move on the hearts of men when the mouths of God's people are shut up. It's when we open our mouths and we proclaim the truth that the Spirit of God works on people's hearts. It's in the preaching of the gospel that people's hearts and lives are changed by the Spirit of God. But to preach the gospel, we must open our mouths. We cannot be silent anymore. We cannot be silent. Now again, I'm not telling you to be ugly I'm not telling you to be mean-spirited. I'm not telling you to have a haughty attitude at all. Don't do that. Don't be full of pride. Don't, don't, don't be full, full of, of self-righteousness. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. If it's not for Jesus, we have no hope. If it's not for his grace in our lives, we are lost. So, so we have nothing to boast in, in and of ourselves. Nevertheless, we should still be confident in the truth. Just because we're not boasting in and of ourselves, it, it doesn't mean that we are not confident in the truth. We must be confident in the truth. Because Jesus is Lord, amen? He rules and reigns over all people in all places. So we must not be silent. We cannot be silent. Future generations depend on our witness. I love this service because it has all the kids in it. It reminds me that, that our faith is a, is a multi-generational faith. That we are passing our faith on to the next generation. Amen. We have to do that. And we do it by bearing witness. We, we don't pass on our faith if we're silent. The enemy wants to silence the voice of the believer today. I mean, goodness gracious, we have a word for it. It's called cancel culture. It's meant, it's designed to silence the voice of truth. And so people are afraid to speak the truth because they don't want to be canceled. Listen, you cannot cancel the truth, the truth is the truth. There's this, for, I wanted to talk about this this morning and I, I ran out of time, but you know, I was talking about fight, we have a fight to fight here. Jude talks about contending for the faith. The apostle Paul talks about we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of, in, in, in the heavenly places and And that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not not, uh, physical weapons. We don't fight with swords. We don't fight with spears. We don't fight with guns. But we have spiritual weapons to use. The word of God, prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is a fight to fight. If we're not fighting in our faith, if we're not warring against the enemy, we're losing ground. He's fighting. And if we're not pushing back on the forces of darkness, the forces of darkness are winning, are pushing back in our lives, in our families. I talked about this morning about how we don't fight on the enemy's terms. We have to stop accepting these terms. Stop it. Stop being 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 silent, stop being pushed into a corner because you're worried you're going to be canceled. That's fighting on the enemy's terms. Listen, God fights my battles for me. He's the one who guarantees our victory. But we open our mouths. We declare the truth. In love, in love, with, with tears in our eyes. But we must declare the truth not in a spirit of self-righteousness. But we must speak the truth. There's this argument that that is wielded. It says, you know, don't you want to be on the right side of history? Haven't you heard that? You you know, the the church has to update. The church has to get with the times. The church needs to edit its Bible. The church has to, to, to throw out some of this arcane stuff about all of the stuff that's in the Bible that we know is, is our culture is, is rejecting today. And then it go, the argument comes, don't you want to be on the right side of history? Listen, as I said this morning, all of history is going to one singular event when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord as long as the the church sticks with god's word as long as the church sticks with jesus we will be on the right side of history it in fact is the culture that is on the wrong side of history today so yes we we want to be on the right side of history and we are on the right side of history because all of history is going towards the kingdom of god All of history is moving to the point where Jesus is Lord of all, in all, of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue, and every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. That is the conclusion of history. And we need to keep that in mind and not not be silenced by all these, these tactics of the enemy. Because when we speak the truth, listen, the truth has power in it. There's power in the truth. The truth stands on its own. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, I, 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 don't, I don't feel uh, compelled, compelled to defend the truth. I don't feel compelled to even defend the gospel. More, more than I feel compelled to defend a lion, all I need to do is let it out of its cage. The gospel is like a lion. The truth is like a lion. You just need to unleash it. You just need to let it out of its cage. You don't have to defend it. It stands on its own. It has its own power inherent within it. And we as God's people, people of faith, we need a renewed confidence in God and in his word and in the truth. And if we have that confidence, we will not be silent. One of the great regrets of my life, and people say you should live your life with no regrets. If, if you've lived your life with no regrets, you've never done anything. I don't know how you live your life with no regrets. I've, I've done some things I wish I hadn't done. I've, I've not done some things I wish I had done, okay? So one of the great regrets of my life is, is when I was in college that I wasn't, I wasn't a witness for Christ in my, on my college campus. I, 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 I had opportunities but I was ashamed. I, I, I was weak in my faith. I, I, I wasn't confident in the Lord, and I wasn't a witness for Him. I didn't live to bring Him glory. I just lived to go and get my degree and whatever it was. It doesn't even matter. Like who cares? I failed. I failed the assignment, and to this day, it's it's one of the regrets of of my life, because I was in the. The, you know, the, the university is, is the enemy's territory, and I, I didn't know how to navigate that, and, and I didn't have a confidence in the Lord and a confidence in the truth that I have today, and so I was silent, and I watched many people go down a path of destruction, and not that I would have saved them, I, I don't know, but if I would have at least spoken the truth, I would have given God an opportunity to move Nothing gets better by staying silent. Nothing gets better. And so each one of you, you have to understand, each one of you are uniquely positioned by God in your families, at your workplace, at your school. Listen, you know people I will never meet. You, You know people I will never speak to. You know people that a pastor cannot touch, but you can touch. You can be light. You can speak the truth. You can have a confidence in the Word of God. You can make a difference. But it will not get better by staying silent. We must speak up as Enoch did. It pleased the Lord. Each one of us is positioned uniquely to touch lives that nobody else can touch, to make a difference. But it won't come by just smiling and going along with the insanity. We must speak up. We must speak the truth. And of course we do it in love. Don't speak if you can't speak in love. But again, the the world tells us that unless, unless you accept someone and every single sin in their life and every little thing about them, unless you receive it and embrace it wholeheartedly, that, that, you, don't, that you are rejecting them. That is not the truth. The, the doctrine of our world, the great ethos, the, 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 the idea of tolerance, that is something that is unheard of in the Bible. We have a higher standard than just tolerating people. We're called to love people. Love is higher than tolerance. I'm not just called to put up with you and to embrace your nonsense. I'm called to love you in the name of Christ. And what love is, is love is rescuing uh, someone who's who's headed for destruction. Lo- love is warning someone whose life is on the path to hell. That's what love is. L- love doesn't watch people just make shipwreck of their lives without saying, hey. Well, what are you doing? Which way are you going? The, the path that you're on is, is not walking with God. There's, and, and, and we have to know there's only two paths in life. There's the broad road that leads to destruction and there's the straight and narrow with Jesus Christ. You're either walking with the Lord or you're not. There's only two paths. And as we see people on this path, we cannot say in our hearts, well, it's not that bad. Well, they're not doing this. They're not not that far gone. If they're not walking with the Lord, it's only a matter of time because they're on the road to destruction. And so we must, in love, plead with them, call them back to the Lord if they've known the Lord and walked with the Lord. If they don't know the Lord, to, to share the gospel with them, the good and glorious news. That's love. That's love. We cannot, we must not buy into the lie of the enemy and do life on their terms. Well, if you really love me, you would embrace my sin. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't embrace sin any more than I would embrace cancer. It will destroy your life. It will destroy souls. We know this. The wages of sin is death. If if you sow sin, you reap a harvest of death. That's what the word of God says. Now, any of us who have lived 40 years or more, we we know that experience bears that out too. We, We don't just know it from the word, but we know it, we've seen it. We've seen sin. We've seen the effects of sin. We've seen, we've seen sin ruin lives and ruin families and ruin marriages. We've seen it. Where I was in my 20s, I, I, didn't, I hadn't seen it yet. And I yet, didn't yet have enough confidence in the word of God. But there's only two paths. This is what the word of God says. One to life, the other to death we need to not be silent. We we need to not watch our family members just go over a cliff without warning them, without warning them. We we can't just go along to get along. There's people's souls at stake. There's destinies at stake. There's there's family trees and, and family legacies at stake going along to get along will make things easy now but in the end it produces death and so Enoch he walked with God Enoch worshipped God Enoch was a faithful witness for God and when God saw these things he was pleased in him and we too can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord As we walk with the Lord, as we worship him, as we seek him, seek after the Lord. And as we open our mouth, speak the truth. Because we are called to love. We're called to love. Jesus, of course, is our great example of this. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. We're gonna uh, sing one more song as we close today. Jesus, of course, is our great example of this. Jesus is love personified. He he is love. You want to know what love is? Look at Jesus. But Jesus never once, never once affirmed someone in their sin. Jesus never once embraced sin. He always brought people to a point of decision. He always brought people to a point of repentance. He always spoke the truth. To the woman who was caught in adultery, he tells her, Go and sin no more. He he doesn't affirm anyone in their sin, and we should not either. Because when we do, we affirm people on a path to destruction. Jesus is our great example. He was perfect love. We have a lot to learn. We have, we have a lot to grow in. But what we can't allow ourselves to do is to believe that we're loving people by being silent. Love is not silent. When I see my four-year-old daughter running towards the street, love compels me to call out love compels me to to chase after her love compels me to do something to intervene to find a way silence is not love affirming people in their sin is not love speaking the truth in love is what Jesus did. And it's what we are called to do as we witness for the Lord. I invite you to stand with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to be faithful witnesses for you. Lord, we want to to speak up. We want to speak out. We we do not want to, to, to be silent. Help us, Lord. Show us, Lord, how we should do it, the words we should say. Lord, we want to bring you glory. We want to bring you honor. We don't want to cause shame on your name, but Lord, we must speak out. We must bear witness to you because that is what is pleasing to you. So, So Lord, help us to walk with you, help us to seek after you, and help us to bear good witness for you in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.